Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Bob Corker says the White House has been turned into an adult daycare center. Yeah. For that out-of-control, incompetent teenager. No. Grade schooler. No. Preschooler we've got in the White House. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on a Monday. Monday, October 9. Uh, How are you? We're going to try to get through the entire day without uh, mentioning Christopher Columbus uh, because we don't believe in celebrating Christopher Columbus. It's Indigenous People's Day. That's it. That's it. Yes. Uh, uh, (laughs) Much better way to put it. We are here with you because, you know, most of you, uh, for most of you, it's just another day unless you're a federal employee. Uh, You're uh, on the way to work or uh, getting ready for work at home. Wherever you are, we happen in this great land of ours. Thank you for joining us as we roll off with the Bill Press Show. Come to you live from Washington, D.C. with all the news of the day. And there is a lot of it. Yes, indeed, Senator Bob Corker. Uh, He can tweet as fast and as furious as Donald Trump can. We learned that over the weekend for sure. Uh, Great exchange there between the two of them. Uh, Donald Trump making it very, very clear that what he really wants, uh, in addition to a war in Iraq Afghan- and Afghanistan and Syria, he wants war with uh, North Korea. And uh, if he has his way, he's going to get it unless uh, James Mattis uh, stops him. Uh, and Donald Trump says, why should uh, the women of America have the right to use contraception? No, just let them Stay home, chain to the stove, and have babies. That's Donald Trump's policy. We'll be talking about that as well. Lots, lots to cover, uh, but we got the entire team here assembled. We'll get right into the news of the day. But first, this Peter is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories. How are you feeling? Making news. I've seen you in a couple of days. I'm all right. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm he alive. Did a, he did a full show on Friday. I'm alive know, for another really. week. All right. I'm still recovering <laughs> from that full show. <laughs> but I'm okay. And, and a full week of work. A full week of work. Jesus. And here we go into my second week of work mm, in uh, quite yeah. some time. I'm not sure if I'm ready, but we're going to give it a shot. All right. Good. Uh, just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Major League Baseball playoffs over the weekend. couple of must-win games yesterday. Whoa, yeah. The Red Sox won against the Astros 10-3, to and the Yankees, they won against the Indians 1-0. to Those were elimination games for both teams, but they stayed alive. Also, the Nationals 
They avoided had to... an 0-2 oh, <laughs> deficit. They came back in a big way to beat the Cubs on Saturday, 6-3. Didn't look three. too good for a few innings there. It did, game one looked horrible, yeah. and then the yeah. first seven innings of the second game looked pretty terrible. But when Bryce Harper hit that home run, man, things got fun. Bryce yeah. Harper hit yeah. a home run. Good grief. He hit that thing all the way to Pennsylvania, practically. He hit it so far. And then Ryan Zimmerman hit a three-run shot in the eighth inning. That put him up 6-3. to three. So uh, all those teams stay alive. I don't think the Red Sox are going to play today. It's like raining all down the East Coast. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, of course. One, all o- one o'clock start. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's but pretty then Nats uh, uh, in Chicago. Nats right? in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wrigley Field. Uh, there is a new book out, which I'm not sure if I'm going to read it or not, but I, uh, this is a very... Is it by Hillary Clinton? Is it? No, not that one. I know I'm not going <laughs> to read that one. Uh, it's an upcoming book called The Way It Was, written by Elliot Weissman. He served as Frank Sinatra's manager from 1975 until Frank Sinatra died in 1998. Well, the book says that there was a deal that brought the Rat Pack to Trump's Taj Mahal in Atlantic City when it opened in 1990. And then the manager who booked the talent for Taj Mahal died, so Trump tried to redo the entire deal. So Frank Sinatra had some very interesting words for Donald Trump. Go F yourself. (laughs) He was told that they were going to have to redo his contract and pay him less money, that the manager who had booked it paid too much money for Frank Sinatra (laughs) and the rest of the Rad Pack. Frank Sinatra said... Tell him I said to go F himself, and if he doesn't believe you, here's my number. He can call me, and I'll tell him myself. What do you think the realistic number of people who have told Donald Trump to go F himself? (laughs) I'd say about, like, 55. Probably 55 is a good number. Yeah. I'll take the over. When you mess with the chairman. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? It is a Monday, Monday, October 9, uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Uh, I thank you for joining us here on The Bill Press Show. Great to see you, uh, Nationwide. It's a little rainy in Washington. Uh, I hope it's uh, doing better wherever you happen to be, but uh, it's not a, not a deluge. I mean, you can't really complain about it. You need rain every once in a while. Uh, this is the way it starts out here. It may mess with the baseball playoffs, but other than that, no big deal. Great to see you. Thank you for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, thanks for joining us on Free Speech TV. Thanks for joining us, period, and out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT Indianapolis on Indiana Talks as well. So there we are. Yeah, how about Mike Pence making a little uh, <clears throat> um, photo stunt? Uh, in Indianapolis uh, over the weekend, too. We'll talk about that. But there is so much news to cover uh, t- today with uh, this big Twitter war between uh, Senator Bob Corker and uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump saying that there's only one way to go uh, in North Korea. Harvey Weinstein fired by his own company, including his brother, voting to fire him from the Weinstein Company. Weinstein, Weinstein. How does he pronounce it? I'm not really sure. Weinstein, I think. I think. But both are both are acceptable. Both are correct. Which one shall we use? And um, Donald Trump saying, uh, yeah, well, President Obama, another thing President Obama did that he rolled back, which was uh, allowing 
any, any business, any employer that wants to, to fake, <clears throat> to use Donald Trump's word, to fake some religious affiliation in order to deny coverage for contraception in their health care plan. Man, with so much to go, where do we start? I think we got to start with Bob Corker. Because, Man. so, uh, one of the most respected senators, um, one of the um, leading voices, certainly, uh, in the country on foreign policy, a man respected by both Democrats and Republicans for taking a very, yeah, he's a conservative, but a very sound, rational, reasonable approach uh, to foreign policy uh, as chairman of the Senate uh, foreign, foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, and he announced last week he was not going to run for re-election, uh, which I remember I said at the time was certainly bad news, I thought, for the country, certainly bad news for the Republican Party, uh, and bad news for Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump didn't see it that way. Donald Trump put out a uh, a little, you know, as, as he does, anybody he's not happy with, he attacks them personally. So he goes on Twitter to attack uh, Bob Corker, saying he didn't have the guts to run. He said that Bob Corker actually called him up um, and begged Donald Trump for an endorsement uh, Donald Trump refused to endorse him. This is what Donald Trump says. Donald Trump refused to endorse him, and therefore Bob Corker said, well, if you're not going to endorse me, I won't run for re-election. Here's the, here's the exact tweet from, from Trump, which I think is really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, this is, a, this is an official statement from the President of the United States. Uh, Senator Bob Corker, quote, begged. Mm-hmm. End quote. Mm-hmm. Me to endorse him for re-election in Tennessee. I said no, capital letters, mm-hmm. and he dropped out. Said he could not win without my endorsement. He also wanted to be Secretary of State. I said, capital letters, no thanks. He is also largely responsible for the horrendous Iran deal. Hence, I would fully expect Corker to be a negative voice and stand in the way of our great agenda. Didn't have the guts to run. So. He's saying that Corker came to him and begged him for an endorsement, yeah. and he said no, which is what Corker and Corker's staff has now, they've now come out and said, that is a lie. Yeah, yeah. Now, we don't have the uh, recording of that call, uh, but you've got Donald Trump, the known liar, on the one side, right? Who's been caught in, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of provable lies. Total, totally. Right. Dozens a and man, dozens and dozens might be an understatement. A, known, a man known for not knowing the difference between lie, uh, the reality, the truth, and, uh, and, what, and, and what he says, the fantasy world. So at any rate, Corker's chief of staff came out and said, no, that's not, that's not it at all. The senator told the president he wasn't running. The president did ask him to reconsider, and Corker said, no, he wasn't going to reconsider. Trump says, I was going to endorse you, and Corker said, fine, thank you very much. I'm not running for reelection." I think Corker is fed up uh, with this administration, fed up with this Republican Party, has had enough, and he wants to go back to Tennessee. Whatever his reason, it didn't happen the way Donald Trump said. So when Trump, can you imagine being a Republican these days? No, like, I wouldn't want to be a Republican. Uh, how can you stand up and get out of office? Go cash and, in. These guys are going to make a ton of money. How can you stand up and defend this guy? Right. So when when uh, so then uh, when when Trump when Corker said he was going to he's not going to run for reelection anyway. Donald Trump said, oh, this man, uh, yeah, Corker, what an idiot. He doesn't, he doesn't have the guts to run. Uh, at which time, by the way, back in March, it was just in March, 
that Donald Trump had a different opinion about uh, Bob Corker. A great friend of mine, Senator Bob Corker. Uh, the thing about yeah. Trump is when he says something, you have to believe the exact opposite. Like when he says he begged me to be secretary of state and I said, no, thanks. Right. Corker was one of the first guys who met with the president. And I remember at the time people were asking Corker, what are you doing? And he said, look, when the president asked to meet with you, you meet with him. Donald Trump, at, I, I believe. Yeah. Could, yeah. Well, here, time for some game theory. I think I think that Trump asked Corker to be Secretary of State, and Corker said no. Like yeah. Trump is a liar. Right. Trump is a liar. So anyhow, Bob Corker came out and said in response to Donald Trump, well, it's too bad the White House has been turned into an adult daycare center. Here's his exact, uh, here's his exact tweet. It's a shame the White House has become an adult daycare center. Someone obviously missed their shift this morning, which is a reference to the fact yes. that they have multiple handlers to double check on Trump every morning to make sure that he doesn't tweet something that'll get us right. all killed. Corker said that uh, he had um, that he knows firsthand uh, that every day at the White House is a scramble to try to keep Donald Trump contained. Yeah, right. What a job! Which, by the way, uh, even this morning already uh, they've failed at that because uh, he's been tweeting already this morning. Um, he also said uh, that uh, uh, it's too bad the White House is being run uh, as a reality show, uh, that you would think that Donald Trump still feels that he's uh, running The Apprentice. He treats the White House that way. Uh, and uh, he said, you know, what can we, you know we've got this president who goes, who goes out and makes reckless threats uh, that are leading this country to World War III. Yeah. Uh, and talking about uh, the other day, uh, the chaos, the chaos down at the White House. Secretary Tillerson, Secretary Mattis, and uh, Chief of Staff Kelly uh, are those people that help separate our country from chaos. Chaos. <laughs> chaos. Chaos, right. So that was Wednesday, right? So yeah. this, and this is really where it started escalating after he made these comments. And then Sarah Sanders having to respond to it at the press briefing on Friday, basically saying, no, Trump is the one that's, mm -hmm. that's yeah, saying right. The president is the one that's keeping the world from chaos. He has an incredible team around him that's helping him lead that effort. And um, he's had tremendous accomplishments on the international stage. Name one. <laughs> Name one accomplishment on the international stage. Pulled out of the Paris Accords. He's announced that he's going to uh, scuttle the... Uh, Iran nuclear deal. He brought us to the wink, brink of war or North Korea. He has threatened a trade war with China and with South Korea. Uh, where's, where's one? He sent 30,000 more troops to uh, Afghanistan. Where is one foreign policy? He has rolled back the openness to, uh, to Cuba. Yeah. Reverse that. I mean, everywhere you look, it's a disaster. Just the idea that he's a master strategist and that he is the one that is in control of every decision that he makes. Mm -hmm. In a way, the decisions that he makes on his on his Twitter account, certainly he's in control of those unless it's Dan Scavino. Yeah. But everything else when it comes to policy, that's not Donald Trump's brain trying to figure out how to run the world, run this country. President deals. He was going to make deals. He was going to make the best yeah. deals. He was going to make us... We were going to be so tired of winning, remember? And, he yeah, said, we right. as a country are going to get tired of so many wins. Anyhow, on Corker, I would say, uh, but Corker versus Trump, Corker wins this one. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Uh, again, people, Corker's got credibility. Trump has none. 
People respect Bob Corker. This, and I think Corker is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of if you really got every one of those, uh, how many are there, 52 Republican senators, I'll bet you every one of them would say this very same thing that Bob Corker is saying, maybe with one or two exceptions. Yeah. But I bet even Ted Cruz, I, I, I would bet even Ted Cruz would have to agree with Bob Corker in terms of the chaos at the White House. And there's a lot of speculation uh, about the fact is that the, 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 the truth is, and Bob Corker, I think, is on to something. Uh, there is a team of people at the White House uh, who are called, by the way, the adults in the room, right? And they include Mattis at defense. He's not inside the White House. Probably good for him. H.R. Um, McMaster as national security advisor. Uh, and John Kelly now as chief of staff. Rex Tillerson, not so much. Because Rex Tillerson, I think people just see him as a uh, <clears throat> soon-to-be ex-secretary of state. And then the question is about John Kelly. And, and you know, there are stories every day that it's one day at a time for John Kelly. Because clearly... His ability to really manage that White House stops at the door of the Oval Office. As we've seen again already this morning, he's out there tweeting this morning, you know, John Kelly can't be in bed with Donald Trump and prevent him from tweeting when he wakes up in the morning. Uh, Donald Trump says, and uh, save this tape, Jamie, all right? Save this tape. Donald Trump, when he went down to North Carolina uh, the end of last week, telling reporters that John Kelly was doing such a great job and and he's so happy there that he's going to be there for the next seven years. He's doing a great job. He will be here, in my opinion, for the entire seven remaining years. I hope he resigns today. <laughs> I mean, you know, just, seriously, just I hope he resigns today. Just to just to shove that. <laughs> that like quote, just, just look at reality. Like that just doesn't that, that rarely ever happens. Let me tell you, I will say this without having done any homework this morning. There has never been a chief of staff that lasted eight years. Yeah, I, I never, really— Never, I, never. I, 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 I don't I think that's how you, it works. No, I can tell you that with absolute—I mean, look at Bill Clinton, right? Sure. Leon Panetta was there. John Podesta came in. Yeah, I mean— I Nobody mean, stays the no, whole time. No, no, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've been covering the White House, covering politics for a long time, so that is just crazy. And I'm sure uh, John Kelly— uh, laughed up his sleeve on that. At any rate, <laughs> we're going to hear, I'm sure, more about uh, Donald Trump and uh, and Bob Corker. Meanwhile, as if that wasn't bad enough, uh, President Trump also rat- rattling the sabers uh, again over the weekend about North Korea. Um, so he brings in a group of um, military uh, families last Thursday night, calls the uh, the, the media in, uh, and says, I want you to see, you know, these military families are here. We had a great dinner. And uh, this is what I call the calm before the storm. Cecilia Vega from ABC asked the president, hey, uh, like, what do you mean by that? Mr. President, what did you mean by calm before the storm yesterday? What did you mean by that? Thank you very much. You'll find out. <laughs> that sounds Ooh, honest. you'll honest. find out. That's yeah. ominous. We oh. talked about this on Friday. He's got to stop doing that. No, yeah. he really does. It's yeah. just, it's not, it, it's dangerous, but it's also not a reality television show. It's its running this country. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. if you're a crazy man in North Korea and you hear a president of the United States say something like that, the calm before the storm, 
And then you hear him follow up with tweets. So this is on Saturday. Okay. So he goes, there's so much wrong with this. So he goes over to his golf course in Virginia and spends four or five hours. Of course, he doesn't play golf. (laughs) 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 No. Mm -mm, No. Right. Right. They won't tell us that he's playing golf. So he goes over there, plays a round of golf. And then he comes back to the White House and he tweets. This is on Saturday, coming right from the golf course. Quote, two tweets. First one, presidents and their administrations have been talking to North Korea for 25 years. Agreements made and massive amounts of money paid. Follow-up tweet. Hasn't worked. Agreements violated before the ink was dry, making fools of U.S. negotiators. Sorry, but only one thing will work. Again, you're the madman in North Korea, and you hear the president of the United States say, only one thing will work, meaning, again, as he told Rex Tillerson, stop wasting your time, Rex, on diplomacy. If he's saying the diplomacy, we're not going to do any more diplomacy, and there's only one thing that works. I mean, if you take him at his word, right, there's only one thing he's talking about. He's talking about a military strike uh, against North Korea, which you know, would be a freaking disaster you, you, for South Korea, for the United States, for the world. You have to realize that when the president of the United States speaks, it's not just rhetoric for the rest of the country to sort of rally around, you know, which is, I think, what the Trump White House thinks, that they could just say these things and throw these yeah. little bullet points out and his base will get excited and, oh, he's being so tough. Other country... Other countries look to what we say for our foreign policy, right? And, like, a lot of times they look at the State Department briefings. Like, you wonder, like, whether or not they, these have any – and, like, we're not doing really State Department yeah. briefings. Yeah. Like, we're, we've started to do some recently, but those those are brand new. And so you look at what the president says as another country to figure out where we're going and what we're doing. And, like, yeah. if you look at what Trump is saying, he's telling the rest of the world, we want to have a war with you. Uh, Yeah. Well, with North Korea, right? But, sure. Yeah. And or course, hell, any, I mean, any of these other places, you know? Yeah. Uh, We're looking for war. It is reckless. It is dangerous. It is totally unacceptable behavior uh, and rhetoric on the part of the president of the United States. And I've got to tell you, and I've said this before, there are two madmen, right? That's the problem. One ahead of North Korea and one ahead of the United States. But in my judgment, the saner one of the two... <laughs> is Kim Jong-un. I mean, he's got a mission. He knows what he, he wants, recognition for his country. He wants survival of his regime. That's why they want, he wants nuclear weapons. I understand it, and you would have to, uh, go, you would have, you, you, it would be hard to make a case against his point of view that the way to get respect in this world today, sadly, is to have nuclear weapons. Look what happened to Muammar Gaddafi. That's what Kim Jong-un is saying. Yeah, he gave up his nuclear weapons, and look what happened to him. Or look what happened to Iran. They agreed yeah. to give up their nuclear program for 15 years, and Donald Trump is trashing them. Yeah. And Donald Trump is we're saying— We're going to go back on that. Trump, we're going to go back on that, and then Donald Trump is calling, calling them bad characters, bad guys. In fact, he talked to Mike Huckabee uh, on, a real on, on his program. There's, there's, right, exactly. About Iran accusing Iran of helping North Korea. I believe they're funding North Korea. I believe. I believe they're trading believe, with North Korea. I believe. I believe they're doing things with North Korea that is crap. totally inappropriate. That doesn't pertain to the deal, but in my 
opinion it does because it's called the spirit of a deal just yeah. like he believed that obama the, wasn't born in this country that's right mm -hmm. and kept that going for what five years yeah. forever yeah. how long yeah. is this right. one going to go sure uh, i believe i believe so already trash so again back to kim jong-un uh, yeah he is clearly the saner of the two i would trust him not to start a war more than i would trust <laughs> donald trump uh not 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 to start a well, war. yes yeah that's true uh, yeah thank you on another front, uh, yes, indeed, uh, well, Donald Trump related, of course. Remember uh, right after Donald Trump made the deal with uh, Chuck and Nancy uh, to keep the government, Nanchuk, to keep the government running, then they said, well, maybe we could make a deal on Dreamers, and Donald Trump said, yeah, this sounds like a good idea, let's have a, I'll sign the bill. Uh, well, no, uh-uh. Uh, yesterday, uh, he, the White House put out a list of, here's what we want in terms of border security in order to continue the DACA program, in order through these 800,000 outstanding young people who happened to have, brought, have, have happened to have brought here, we've talked about them so many times, to this country by their parents when they were children, infants, toddlers, and did not make the decision to leave their country and come to the United States. Their parents brought them. And they've been here. This is the only country they knows. They know only country they've lived in. They speak English. They're in school. They have jobs. They're in the military. They're paying taxes. They are building a greater America. Donald Trump wants to throw them all out, 800,000 of them. But he'll make a deal as long as he'll let them stay as long as he gets this list of um, border security measures that he wants as part of that deal. And guess what the number one is? The wall. Now, when he talked about making the deal with Chuck and Nancy, remember the first report, this was what, about a month ago? They said he told them no wall. Everybody's surprised, but he said, no, I'm not going to make the wall. I'll do a deal. But the wall will be separate. I won't make the wall part of that deal. He's reneged on that. So number one is he wants uh, the wall. Uh, number two, he's, he wants, what is it, 370 new judges to uh, handle these immigration cases, uh, to throw people out quicker. Uh, he wants to cut off all money, all federal money, to any sanctuary city in the country. Uh, and he wants 10,000 more ICE agents. Yeah, guess what? It's not going to happen. I mean... Thank you very much, Nancy. Chuck, appreciate it very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that, that kills that deal. Uh, there's no way... In fact, I would, there's no way Democrats will go along with that. And by the way, I don't think there are some Republicans who won't go along with that. I mean, it's just, that's just outrageous. Just a massive throw of money at the border where already, as we know, uh, the border is pretty much under control. There are not many people coming across the border illegally these days uh, and, get, and, and getting away with it. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Mike Pence throws God. a little uh, Oh, my God. <laughs> throws a little show. So you know what happened. Mike Pence shows up in Indianapolis for the— uh, the Colts and the 49ers, uh, right? They're playing the 49ers, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, in Indianapolis for the game. And what happens is that the, the national anthem, of course, a couple of 49ers took a knee, and Mike Pence storms out, said, I can't stand for this. I won't be part of this. Yeah, making a big statement, right? No, wrong. Uh, <laughs> Actually, this whole thing was planned ahead of time. It was nothing but a publicity stunt. Reporters were told ahead of time, be sure to pay careful attention. 
because something's going to happen. They've posted photographers right there to get pictures of Michael Pence leaving. So just to show you what this, uh, what this whole little caper cost you and me, Mike Pence was in Las Vegas Saturday for a, um, a march in honor of the victims, uh, to commemorate the victims of last uh, weekend's mass murder. Uh, he left Las Vegas, flew to Indianapolis, uh, immediately flew from Indianapolis to Los Angeles. Uh, the flight from Los, Las Vegas to Indianapolis was $100,000. The flight from Indianapolis to Los Angeles was 142000 So remember, so in other words, he cr- crisscrossed the country, right? Comes all the way to Indianapolis, goes all the way back to the West Coast to, uh, to L.A. for $142,500. Total trip... $242,500. If he had left Las Vegas and just gone to Los Angeles, it would have cost $40,000. Yeah. So basically, you and I paid $200,000 for this publicity stunt for Mike Pence to uh, storm out of the game. Really quickly, Mike Pence what a joke. tweeted at 1.08 p.m., I left today's Colts game because POTUS and I will not dignify any event that disrespects yeah. our soldiers, our flag, our national anthem. It was at 1.08 p.m. Mm-hmm. At 1.29 p.m., 21 minutes later, the official White House press office emailed out a statement full, like, a couple of paragraphs long, by the way, that Mike Pence allegedly wrote after his disgust at saying this, which it was all, yeah. I think is completely crazy. No, no. Trump... Then at 2.16 p.m. <laughs> tweets, I asked VP Pence to leave the stadium if any players kneeled disrespecting our country. I am very proud of him and second lady Karen. In other words, good boy, Mike. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. whole thing was all set up. Woof. whole thing was all set up. Exactly. Uh, you know, Eric Reed uh, from the 49ers uh, after the game uh, um, had a <laughs> – he, he, he summed it up. He saw right through it. Does anybody know the last time he's been to a football game? Yeah. Okay, with that being said, he tweeted out a three-year-old photo of him at a Colts game. So yeah. with the information that I have, <laughs> the last time he's been to a Colts game is three years ago. <laughs> so this looks like a PR stunt to me. That looks, reference, by the way, looks that like reference. a PR stunt to me. Yeah. Pence tweeted out a photo of him and mother, Karen, mm-hmm. at saying we're at the Colts game. And people looked. He had used that photo before, and it's over three years old. So it he it was not a picture of him at the yeah. Colts game. Yeah, and then, like, th- just to show how stupid these guys are, the photo op that he had of him standing next to the officer, mm-hmm. he's wearing a completely different outfit. As is mother. <laughs> mother is also in a different outfit. So like, yeah. how dumb not, they, they can't even get the social media thing right. Yeah, out. as our friend Matt Fuller pointed out on Twitter, he brought he had to bring mother to the game with him just in to, case another yes. woman may have been sitting next That's to him. Right, he can't sit yeah. with at the game. Woman. Mother right. has to be there. Mother, right? <laughs> oh God, what a bunch of phonies! And one little thing, let's mention Harvey Weinstein is out of a job. Uh, the four remaining members of the board of the Weinstein Company uh, fired him. Uh, last night, uh, his brother, Bob, was one of the four remaining board members. They fired him. Goodbye, good riddance. I always thought the guy was a, a bunch of hot air anyway uh, and, and an obnoxious personality. 
But he, he was a big, he's a big Hollywood royalty, a big, uh, you know, he made some wonderful films and he had a lot of success, mainly because he kind of, sort of like Donald Trump-like, pushed his way around. Uh, but um, dozens of women over the years have accused him of sexual harassment. He has settled with many, many of them. Uh, and he finally finally got caught. But the the, the thing that, that a caution now, right? A week after Hugh Hefner dies, um, uh, the Harvey Weinstein, this, this, this news comes up. So people are saying, oh, typical liberals, typical liberals, they talk about supporting women and yet they're harassing women. Yeah, so this is the liberal curse. May I remind you about Roger Ailes, uh, maybe Bill O'Reilly? How about Donald Trump? How about the president of the How United the States? President of the, you want to go down the list of conservative, who, who, right, who have been found guilty uh, and bragged about sexually harassing women? Look, what this is all about is powerful men who use their position to prey on women. They are wrong. It is disgusting. It is illegal. And they all ought to be slammed and l- lose their jobs over it. I don't the, care whether Republican or Democrat. The, the attempt this weekend to make Harvey Weinstein, a part of the Democratic establishment. Yeah, right. Was look, not only is it off center, but like it's galling compa- like compared to what Donald Trump has been accused of. He's been accused of sexual harassment tw- twenty times. He bragged twenty times about. He's on tape admitting to sexual assault. Yeah, and like Harvey Weinstein should be run out of p- public life. I don't think he should. Uh, be anything anymore. I think this guy's, I mean, he's ruined his own career and, you know, he's done that to himself and Democrats shouldn't rally to defend him. He should be run out. He should be run out of here. And and nobody is. No, 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 no. Like like people rallied to defend Roger Ailes. But Trump, his idiot sons, all these Republicans that are, uh, Ronna McDaniel, the head of the GOP now, oh, yeah, came out over yeah. the weekend oh, yeah, to say, like, yeah. has Hillary condemned Harvey yeah. Weinstein? Look, Hillary's not an elected official. Harvey Weinstein is an elected official. We've got Donald Trump, who's been yeah. uh, accused of sexual harassment 20 times. 20 times. Uh, so don't buy that. Don't, don't buy the line. This is the liberal curse. Anyhow, we got a great lineup of guests for you. Take a quick break and get to our first guest, Graham Vice from a New Republic. Justin Sink joins us from Bloomberg Politics, covers the White House for Bloomberg Politics. And then we'll have the chief medical officer of the Planned Parenthood coming up as our final guest today. Take a quick break. Back with Graham Vice from New Republic. Last time he's been to the Coles games three years ago. So this looks like a PR stunt to me. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, here we are on this Monday, October 9. Great to see you today. As we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., to a sleepy town today because some people are celebrating a holiday we don't even want to talk about. Um, but we are here and we're brought to you today uh, by the American Federation of Government Employees. We celebrate them on their day off. <laughs> Those good men and women who keep our federal agencies running under the leadership of President J. David Cox. Check out their website at afge.org. Uh, joining us from the New Republic. 
Um, working every day, as always, Graham Weiss. Hello, Graham. Good morning, to see Bill. you. Morning, Peter. Uh, hey, so hey. we know you come from Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Uh, this this is a big uh, 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 holiday celebration day for Rhode Island. Yeah, right? I mean, I should say Happy Indigenous Peoples Day to the yes. two of you. Yes, thank you. That's but it. Right. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, I grew up in uh, a wonderful uh, little small town called Westerly, Rhode Island. I which know it well. I know you know well. Uh, it is a great place to uh, vacation in the summer. We we were always joke that like the population doubles in the in the summertime. Oh, easy. Um, because Westerly Township includes Watch Hill and Weekapog right, which and Musquamacut. Where you've spent some time. And uh, and so in this in this town, which is, a, you know, again, it was a great place to grow up, but it was quite conservative in uh, some of its uh, politics and culture. Uh, there, you know, Columbus Day was a huge, huge deal. There's a Columbus Day parade. Uh, there's a massive <clears throat> granite statue of Christopher Columbus in the mm-hmm. middle of this public, uh, you know, strolling park in the middle of town. And the thing I will always remember uh, from high school is that uh, one year the, the senior football team decided that in protest of the revocation of their senior privileges they were going to you know uh, not march in the Columbus Day Parade and so this guy Jim Spellman who was our assistant principal this sort of jowly guy who looked like a bulldog which incidentally was our school mascot barked at them this is a slap in the face to Christopher Columbus. You will not, you know, <laughs> you know, protest on this day. And I just remember thinking, God, you know, th- we still have some work to do in terms of convincing people that this is perhaps not the best holiday to to be celebrating. How so about the, this is know, my vantage point when we when we celebrate about in Columbus front of the uh, Union Station here yeah. in Washington D.C. Right, yeah. Columbus, it's Columbus Circle, still yeah. still prominent. So. Right. Uh, you know, it's, do, do they still have that parade in Westerly? That's my today? understanding. I mean, oh. it, you know, it's a great parade, but <laughs> you could, you could. It's kind of fading out, don't you think? I mean, the whole Columbus thing is. I would. Pra- it feels like it. Yeah. yeah, certainly in like in liberal enclaves, I think it is. But I, I just, I, I worry that there's still a lot of parts of the country, including great little small towns, which I, again, I was privileged to grow up there. But, uh, but it was, you know, something I. You know, I wish they would maybe reconsider. <laughs> uh, so you you've been you've been stirring things up here lately at the New Republic. Um, uh, to Thank where you. Where do we start talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's our job. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, Joe Biden. He's yeah. certainly out there making noise. Um, is he making noise like he's going to run? So uh, and could it be his if he wants it? It's it's a it's a big question. Uh, I should start this by saying that um, there's a contributing editor at Politico named Bill Sher who wrote this piece uh, a, f- a few weeks ago about how Joe Biden was sort of positioning himself potentially as an anti-populist candidate for uh, 2020, which I thought was pretty provocative. And the the site the the evidence he cited uh, was that uh, Biden has come out against the universal basic income, which is that one of these proposals that progressives and the sort of populist left of the party has lacked. Onto, um, he has been has been talking a lot about sort of bipartisanship and you know working across the aisle, which is certainly not where the I think most Democrats are in the era of Trump and the era of resistance. And so, uh, but, but which by the way was a Biden specialty when Biden was there. Yeah, but there was a different breed of cat correct around in those days and, and i think it should different breed of republic i feel like cat. whenever we have this conversation you have to stipulate that in an ideal world even in the in politics as we have known it 
you know, for much of, uh, you know, modern history, you know, of course, bipartisanship and working across the aisle, I mean, no one would object to that sort of in theory or, or, or in principle. But um, it, the question just is that in, in this moment when, A, the Republican Party has become so it has lurched so far to the right, has become so beholden to Trump, is just, compl- you know, has ceased to really be a, a sort of credible party that you could work with on anything, um, you know, whether that's the, the, the right move. So so Joe Biden last week uh, goes to Alabama, to Birmingham, to right. campaign for Doug Jones, uh, who is this, <laughs> appears to be, you know, a, a relatively strong, credible candidate um, running against uh, Roy Moore, who we just, at the New Republic, flat out called a nutcase you know, in print, which is, I think, the only word for him. Um, sort of overtly theocratic, uh, you know, right wing uh, nominee uh, there um, for for Senate to replace. This is for the seat that Jeff Sessions vacated mm-hmm. uh, when he became attorney general. And, you know, the, 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 the thing that I was covering is that Biden, uh, you know, gave this speech where he distanced himself from Bernie Sanders. He said, you know, the the rich are uh, just as patriotic as, uh, you know, the rest of the country. I know Bernie doesn't like it when I say that, uh, which was, I thought, sort of a noteworthy uh, little little dig. Um, he also uh, raised some eyebrows uh, from people on Twitter uh, where he was talking about, uh, you know, he used to work with the seven or eight Democratic segregationists in the Senate, which, again, Ever, I know what he was trying to He's trying to illustrate that, you know, when he was there, even people who had, you know, greatly divergent views that he didn't agree with whatsoever, he could still work with them. I just wonder if it's a little tone deaf or if it's the right sort of, you know, rhetoric and strategy in this particular moment in history to be sort of waxing nostalgic about working with Democratic segregationists and like how we really and you know he's the other thing is he's doing this event um, later this month with John Kasich where they're going to sit down and sort of talk about bridging the partisan divide again you know if you're going to pick a Republican to do it with everyone understands Kasich is is sort of better than the rest of them but it just it did seem certainly divergent from where the rest of the party is I think a lot of people who consider themselves Democrats um present company included, mm-hmm. uh, really took this election as a way of what the party really should be, you know? And, like, Bernie Sanders isn't the perfect candidate, but I think Bernie reminded a lot of Democrats that, like, this is what the Democratic Party used to be like. We can get things done, but we can get big things done, right? Like, we can give health care to everybody. We can keep wall street in check we can find a way to provide education to everybody and so like this idea of the moderate democrat i think is hard for a lot of us to swallow i think uh, go ahead yeah. well i was just going to say I, look i'm a huge I, original originally from delaware mm-hmm. before california stole me and adopted right me. uh I'm a huge Joe Biden fan. And I should say, uh, I wrote a very warm and affectionate piece about the guy last year. I, I literally said yeah. that, you know, he had a sort of, um, you know, middle of the road, you know, record in the Senate and that the vice presidency had sort of elevated him. And it, so I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I believe I've said this I've just just on the record, but I've on the record before I say, I think you should have run the last time. Mm. Uh, I think it is clear that, that Barack Obama told him he didn't want him to run against Hillary. If he had, I believe Joe Biden would have been the nominee, and I told Bernie this, and I think Joe Biden would have won the election. So wow. 
I, I, I'm wow. huge of Biden. That's but, pretty. But that's what pretty he strong say, if if what you say is true, and I believe you, but yeah. for Joe Biden now, I think he is tone deaf because the mood right now is not for a compromiser. The mood right now in the Democratic Party, and the among progressives, and which I certainly am, right, and that part, that wing of the party, if you will. Um, they don't want somebody who's going to some, come, some, say we have to, we can't do universal health care mm-hmm. or we can't do uh, living wage. No, maybe we don't get there right away, but they don't. If, if Joe Biden tries to present himself as the establishment candidate, number one, that's not going to sell. Number two, that's not who he is right. really. Yeah. I mean, Joe Biden could have run. He could have taken on the Bernie Mantle the last time. Mantle the last time. He's always been a champion of of the middle class Americans. That's who he is. The whole Scranton. Right. Story we've heard how many times, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And and we should stipulate a few things. Number and, one, and he's certainly to just one more. Yeah, yeah. He's certainly to the left of Barack Obama. Remember Joe Biden came out for same-sex marriage. <laughs> right. When meet the Barack press. Obama was yeah. was yeah. still trying to figure it out, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and and to be clear, I actually am not sure so, uh from, Come on, Joe. I'm not sure from memory where he is on uh single payer or where he is on uh on uh the minimum wage. So so it, it may be that on a, a whole host of Bernie's yeah. priorities he actually is uh, the, the the universal basic income uh w- uh is one where he clearly sort of staked out yeah. in opposition to it. It's also true that um in uh that both in in Alabama and over the weekend in South Carolina, he's campaigning in red states, right? So it Maybe right. that some of this rhetoric is geared towards that. Yeah, right. But by the, by the way, I also think yeah. he was. It showed, uh, I thought, a lot of courage on his part, and very smart politics to go to Alabama. How many Democrats? How mm-hmm. many top Democrats mm-hmm. have gone to Alabama to campaign for Doug Jones? Which you've also written about. Right. Should Democrats look? It's enough, even against the nutcase yeah. Roy Moore. <laughs> it's yeah. an uphill well, battle I, to win exactly. in Alabama. I, but so. A lot of Democrats are just ignoring it. Hillary hasn't been down there. No, and well, but the question Barack is whether Obama hasn't been there. The question is whether Hillary or Obama showing up would help more or hurt more. Well, name somebody who would help. I right. don't. So I don't. Biden's the only national Democrat, big name Democrat that I know who's gone down there. Yeah. Right. Uh, who yeah. else? I can't think of anybody else who would go down to Alabama and actually help. I really can't. I, talk- I, I honestly, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a Democrat who who could and. Well, I just don't, I mean, it, you know, you can't send Nancy Pelosi. You certainly can't send Chuck Schumer. You can't send Bernie. I, you could send John Lewis. You could. I talk- John Lewis got some credibility in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, it's well, a good I mean, point. It's the African American. No, I know, right. I know. Yeah, I, know. I, I that, you got a serious. point. Yeah, I was, uh, I wasn't being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Like he really does have some credibility there. Yeah, I talked to the, uh, to, as you mentioned, I did a piece on yeah, whether so. they should. Show, show up in Alabama, right? right. Um, and I talked to the party chair uh, down there, who you know she she didn't have any announcements at the time on sort of which Democrats would be coming in, but she talked about more conservative Democrats, people like Joe Manchin, people you know. But again, the question is sort of I mean I, I talked to the guy who uh, was Bernie's state director down there, and he. It was pretty ambivalent. He basically said, "Look, you know, on the one hand, it's good that Biden's showing up, sort of getting Democrats excited, but you, you also, you know, maybe don't want a national, you know, you don't want to associate the Jones too much with a national party because it is, it's like, you know, this is we're not even talking about a swing state here. This is like a red no, state, oh no, you right, know. No. So no, this is not purple. Right, Alabama is not purple, yeah. not leaning purple. Exactly not, right. No, no, right. Uh, but 
I'm I'm of the belief that you you, you have to fight every battle. You just yeah. never know. And of course, right? progressives have long have long argued that a, a sort of populist left wing message can win anywhere in the country. So I mean, it, I don't know if Jug Jones will end up being a test case for that, but um, you know, you know, they would say, you know, don't shy away from it. Right. Remember, uh, I forget who the candidate right. was in South Carolina, but they ran a. Bernie type progressive mm-hmm. in South Carolina for one of the seats, and he came damn close yeah, to winning. Yeah, right. Came damn close to winning that. So, election. who's going to go down there for? I mean, he said he would go down and campaign for Roy Moore. Donald Trump did. Mm. Do we know? Is he actually going to go? I don't know. Um, I Which know. It's not until November. So, they got. Well, actually, that's next month. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, We're pretty close. Right. <laughs> Year's almost over. Yeah. yeah. But uh, even though. Uh, so, so uh, as we remember, uh, Roy Moore was not Trump's candidate in the, in no. the, in the primary. <laughs> yes, right. But. Big and, Luther. Big Luther Strange. But, uh, which, by the way, what a name. Luther oh, Strange. I know. I know. You know? Yeah. It's like a, a look. Like, I'd vote for him. He's a Republican <laughs> yeah. from Alabama, and I'd vote yeah. for a guy named Luther it's like, Strange. It's like a comic book villain, right? Luther <laughs> Strange, Luther, um, big, big Luther. Luther. So big Luther. Uh, but you know, even though uh, he wasn't uh, Trump's candidate, I think everyone sort of thinks that the the people who are on board with Roy Moore, there's like a strong overlap between Trump people, you know, sort of pro, you know, the Trump base and 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 Moore. Oh, totally. You know, so no, no, it, no. Would, it would it would definitely uh, energize them. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know. Roy Moore was the Trump of right. Alabama. Right. Which was weird, even though the sort of weird politics of Trump not being for him. Right. Um, no, he was the Trump candidate. He, I mean, Trump had endorsed somebody else, but Roy Moore was the Trump candidate. Absolutely. You're, um, another piece of yours that uh, caught our attention, um, and, and there's been several stories, other stories about it, too. So after the massacre in Las Vegas, and we find out found out that of these what was it, 23 guns in the hotel room. Um, 12 of them maybe had bump stocks or something Mm -hmm. to to convert them from Mm semi-automatic to automatic. So you can fire more quickly. So you can fire more quickly and kill more people. And kill more people. Right. So um, there's a beginning of a consensus among Democrats and Republicans, well, we could ban these bump stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they won't go so far as to ban the semi-automatic weapon that used to be banned at one time that right. these things were attached to, but yep. at least the bump stock. Where's the NRA on this? So the NRA uh, surprised a lot of people uh, on Thursday after after their customary um, few days of going dark and being silent after right. uh, mass shooting. Um, and they, they basically came in and said, look, you know, we, we think that we should revisit uh, reg- the regulation of, of uh, these bump stock uh, uh, attachments. Didn't at first they just said we should we should revisit this or we would not oppose revisiting this. They didn't they didn't indicate they gave the impression that they might even back legislation to do so. Yeah, well, except right? for the fact that they kind of fuzzy. They then but they then said that the um the ATF should be that was yesterday. Uh, yeah, yeah, should 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 do it. Right. And so you know, again, I, I, I talked to Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, is a leading uh, gun safety yeah. advocate on Capitol Hill, and if they are able to do something uh, on uh, on bump stocks, that's good, right? And so we everyone should you know can get on board with that. But the point of my piece is that this is such a small uh, sort of uh, you know 
uh, almost negligible uh, effect that any kind of change in regulation would have on. on, I mean, as Murphy said to me, this does nothing to. I mean, most this is the first mass shooting that uh, we can think of where these bump stocks were even a part of the equation. And so how many mass shootings have we seen? Like 200 and some already this year. Right. So it's like, how is this actually, you know, uh, going to change uh, the sort of epidemic of gun violence in America? And and the, the the other point of my piece was that the NRA is getting some good press out of this. And there there are people who are sort of framing this as well. You know, aren't they being reasonable? Aren't they? Being... No, no, is the answer. <laughs> no. No, and they, for the media to write, anybody in the media to write that is irresponsible. They're just not doing their homework. I, I mean, it, 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 the NRA is doing nothing here. In fact, I think what they're they're undercutting, again, any effort towards sensible gun safety legislation, because by saying, "Well, this should be reviewed by the ATF," what the what the hell is the ATF doing now? About gun safety, right. nothing. Well, and and nothing. And there's uh, several other points. I mean, so number one, it's it's it, not it's not at all clear that that they would actually but, ever do take up action on it. No. Number two, uh, at the same time as the NRA has ha- staked out this position, they are pushing conceal carry legislation on Capitol Hill, which would effectively expand the the sort of uh, conceal well, carry across the country. They're also pushing the silencer that bill too. on the Hill. That yeah. too. Right. And the other so thing. So what's the net effect To here? preserve right. the hearing of hunters right. yeah. is the way right. that they're sort mm-hmm. of pushing. Right. Nice. Yeah. It's like, right. nice. There are other ways. <laughs> yeah. Like mm-hmm. I know a lot of hunters. I have plenty of them in my family and they go out and they have the yeah. earmuffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right? right. Like I know that might not be the most convenient way to block sound, but tough. Right. Uh, yeah. Having a gun comes with a lot of responsibility. Uh, and the other thing about it is, of course, as we've learned – if you do something by regulation, the next president can undo it right. without having to go to Congress. So this is a total freaking cop out, and the NRA deserves no credit whatsoever. They're just as, just as much a tool of the gun manufacturers as they ever were. Uh, I, I, I've got to play this. So, so Steve Scalise, God bless him. And God glad bless him. Glad he's back. The yep. whole thing. But come on, mm. if anybody should be saying, you know, maybe we ought to do something about these guns. You'd think it'd be somebody for Steve Scalise instead. He comes out yesterday with this bizarre theory about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment really predates the Bill of Rights. Our founding fathers believed strongly in gun rights for citizens. Frankly, they thought it was uh, an assumed right. They didn't put it in the Constitution because they didn't think it would ever be in jeopardy. But ultimately, you saw attempts later on to take away gun rights. So they said it's so important. We're going to make it one of the 10 uh, Bill of Rights uh, constitutional changes. And so... It is a long history in our country to make sure that you protect the rights of citizens to bear arms. First of all, he doesn't know it was American history. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's already pretty clear. But th- this, this whole idea, right? I mean, the Supreme Court for the longest time didn't recognize that it was an individual right. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and so, I mean, it's, it's, it, this is but a— This idea that, the, that our founding fathers, after they'd written the Constitution and they realized uh, that there was some— some question about guns that they themselves rushed out right, yeah. and put this amendment in there, right? That this was their <laughs> priority. Totally nuts. Totally and of all the people, I'm sorry. Like, people. I, no, I, same here. Yeah, I, I'm glad uh, he's doing well. I'm glad he's he's back up and on his feet, literally. Uh, but like, 
Steve Scalise really ought to search his, his heart a little bit and figure out what, what he stands for. And yet, from a political perspective, I'm sure that's why he's out there saying it. In other words, even Steve Scalise says, who, who, who has been through the trauma of gun violence, is standing up for the Second Amendment. I mean, it's, you know, it's good for them. You know, it's, it's an effective... Um, <laughs> He's an expect- effective but, spokesperson. But Chris Murphy, did he tell you that uh, he will support legislation? Yeah, he's he. You know, when and subsequently he. But he's uh, been great. He's on this been issue. on. I mean, you know, he basically said he's. You know, he's he's got a sort of tough line to walk. Right. He's he's. If the NRA and and the Republicans want to do something, anything, he's got to be with them. And he and in fact, I think I um he was asked over mm. the weekend, would he support a, a, a clean a clean bill that would simply focus on this narrow, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bump stock issue? And he said he would. Um, so which seems, I mean, that seems like the responsible position. But he and um, I also talked to to um, uh, Moms Demand Action for mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for Gun Sense, and they and they basically said, listen, this is like a complete uh, cop out, right. you know. Uh, if we if we let this bill go through and then say, oh, they've done, boy, look, don't they deserve a lot of credit? They no. finally have done something Such about a gun safety. No, no freaking way. Well, uh, Graham, thank you for coming in today, and we want uh, all of us together here to wish you a happy Indigenous People's <laughs> and Day. And to you. Uh, Good to right. see both of you. Good to see you particularly, Peter. Yes, sir. I'm back. Uh-huh. For now. Stronger than ever. That's right. Oh, I'm not <laughs> sure about like that. that. <laughs> see you Justin next Sink from Bloomberg News joins us. This Stop the hour. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Bob Corker says the White House has become an adult daycare center. He's wrong. It's a preschooler daycare center, I think. Uh, good morning, everybody. What do you say? The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. On a Monday, October 9, Indigenous Peoples Day. We're celebrating here at the uh, at the Bill Press Show. All day long. All day long. Uh, as we come to you live from our nation's capital, uh, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day on several fronts. Yep, Donald Trump saying uh, it looks like uh, there's only one thing will work with uh, North Korea. And right now we may be experiencing the calm before the storm, whatever the hell that means. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump putting out a list of all the things uh, on border security that must be any bill uh, to extend the DACA program. Uh, boy, with all of that news from the White House, we're glad to welcome Justin Sink, who covers the White House for Bloomberg Politics, to the program. Justin, always good to see you. Thanks, hey, thanks for, coming for having in. me. Thanks. Um, no lack of things to talk about these days. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> they do keep us busy over there. <laughs> um, yeah, more, more than any other White House, I think. There's uh, not a not, a, not, a, not many slow days. So, uh, 
Like but, the busiest day for the White House press corps when Obama was president was probably the day he wore a tan suit. Like that was the that, that I want all right. First of all, everybody misremembers, but that press conference had some crazy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah it did. You're right. And so I, it's become this sort of, you know, meme that yeah. all the press corps cares about was the tan suit. That was the press conference where he said that there was no strategy to combat ISIS, which was, you know, I think of some legitimate concern. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But then there was also the, t- the tan <laughs> suit, which was outrageous. Suit. It was Isn't really that funny? bad. <laughs> Isn't funny? That was one day they said today there's no strategy to combat ISIS. <laughs> yeah. For the Trump White House, there's no strategy, period. It's every day. Every day. <laughs> it never will be. All right. So we got lots to talk about with Justin Sink, and we will jump right into it, and all of you as, for, as well. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. The National Highway Traffic and Safety Association put out some very upsetting news. They say that we remain a nation of dummies, basically, because the number of fatal car crashes are increasing. Why? Why? Well, they say it's because we won't stop drinking and driving and not wearing our seatbelts. There are still people who get in their car drunk and still people who get in their car and don't put on a seatbelt despite the fact that like every car that i get in these days has like a little alert if you don't put on your seatbelt there are there are people who sell seatbelt inserts so that you can shut your car up but not actually put on your seatbelt because america but they're saying for god's sake stop drinking and driving and wear a friggin seatbelt yes 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 but I don't believe this story because every 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 study that I've every report that I've seen says the number of traffic deaths in this country is down. This is a new study from the National Highway Traffic I don't Safety believe Association. Them. Well, that's fine. You don't have to believe them. But I'm just saying, you know, with all the, the new safety things. Well, and, I, I do think cars. Uber has been really uh, helpful in cutting down drunken driving deaths. Uber drunken driving, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's yeah. a drunken from drunken driving, but no, 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 no. They, they say gonna... overall traffic fatalities are, are like if you get in an accident, yeah. you yeah. will like. There's a better chance. The point is, we're no. what five years away from self-driving cars. That's, yeah, exactly. That's so, like, yeah, that, that, that'll be the that's thing it. that fixes it. We'll go to the box office this weekend. Blade Runner 2049 is the number one movie in America. They brought in $31.5 million. Uh, pretty pretty steep drop-off between number one and number two. Number two was The Mountain Between Us, uh, which brought in $10 million. And It, still a competitor, brought in $9.6 million this weekend. I saw It. I think it's stupid. Uh, Blade Runner, I saw yesterday, which is fantastic. Hmm, really? I heard that this is apparently not actually that much money. They expected to make more money for yeah, Blade they Runner. Yeah, they expected to make more it's money. It's a big temple. Yeah. The only, only movie I've seen lately is Battle of the Sexes. And it was I got to go see that. Excellent. See that, yeah. Really excellent. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Senator Bob Corker firing back at Donald Trump, showing he can tweet just as fast and just as furious as the president himself. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday, October 9? So good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as we roll through the big events and the big news of the day on this Monday, the Bill Press Show. 
Coming to you live on YouTube, from our nation's capital on uh, joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, on uh, Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area, of course, on the big uh, megaphone, fog, foghorn, whatever, progressive foghorn of the uh, Chicago area, uh, WCPT. And in studio with us, covers the White House for uh, Bloomberg Politics, Justin Sink. Hello, Justin. Good to see you. Hey. So this uh, Bob Corker thing really uh, kind of took off. Um, what's what's behind it? Is there was there, I mean, last March, we remember Donald Trump went down to uh, Tennessee. And at the time, last March, Jamie, he had some di- uh, sort of different attitude about Bob Corker. A great friend of mine, Senator Bob Corker. This week he said he didn't have the guts to run for re-election. What's going on? <laughs> well, I think what is likely happening is that President Trump plans to decertify the Iran nuclear deal later this week. That's what reporting indicates, although we haven't confirmed that our, ourselves. And uh, that is a step that doesn't actually cancel or exit the deal, but essentially kicks it to Capitol Hill, where he's hoping Republicans... Uh, will somehow renegotiate this deal, make it tougher on Iran, and deliver him a political win. The problem with that plan is that Iran and all of the U.S. allies and partners who are included in the deal— Seven other yeah, European nations. Right. —have shown no inclination to doing this. They yeah. all say Iran's we abiding cannot by do the, it. You, you, we cannot do it unilaterally. The, the language of the deal, and they say that the main objection of the Trump administration, which is that Iran's continuing with its— ballistic missile program, continuing to fund terrorist groups in the Middle East, were explicitly excluded from from the negotiations for the Iran deal, which was just about kind of curbing the nuclear program. So uh, I think there is a reality that Bob Corker, who is a seasoned member of Congress and uh, very kind of in-depth on foreign policy, understands that this deal can't mm-hmm. kind of be easily tweaked or renegotiated. And that's frustrating news to Donald Trump, who campaigned on mm-hmm. being able to sweep in and change everything because he's such a good deal maker. And so uh, that, I think, sparked this sort of preemptive criticism uh, of Bob Corker over the weekend because Donald Trump's trying to set him up as the fall guy when this Iran, you know, fix that he wants to to implement doesn't end up happening. All right. So according to Donald Trump, uh, Corker called him and begged, that's the word, begged him for his endorsement. Uh, and Donald Trump said um, no. And then Corker says, well, then I won't run for re-election because I need your endorsement or something. Corker, through his chief of staff, says, no, 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 no. It's not the way it happened at all. Um, Corker, Trump said, I'll endorse you. And Corker said, no, I'm. would you stay? I'd like you to stay. And Corker said, no, I'm leaving with, with, with without your endorsement. Who do we believe? Well, I, I think that Bob Corker has earned more credibility over time than Donald Trump has in terms of <laughs> being very, factual in his statements. Uh, I don't know who is right in this very one. Diplom- uh, very diplomatic way of putting it. I would say that Bob Corker probably would not struggle to uh, win re-election if he decided to run again. Um, he did have a bit of a scare uh, a few years ago um, against, I think, Harold Ford in, yeah. in Tennessee. Yeah, but right. uh, I, I, it's it strikes me that he was not overly concerned about a, a primary challenge. I don't think that that's why he he ended up leaving. But so you know, Corker has been critical of Donald Trump in the past, but still rather muted, I think, and and was more a, a team player. Now he basically has 
has just come out. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any any coming back from what he said that the, the White comparing the White House to an adult daycare center, saying that the president is making these reckless threats, which lead us to World War Three. That he's running the White House like a reality show, as if he's still on The Apprentice. I mean, it's know. it's harsh criticism for sure. But uh, you know, I also think that um, you know, if Bob Bob Corker is somebody who has tried to work with President Trump, he interviewed to become his vice president, interviewed to become his secretary of state, um, has been in regular touch with the administration, and I think what he has come to realize through that process is that a key way to get through to Donald Trump and his inner circle is to be loud and in the media. And so, you know, if Bob Corker is concerned about what's going on at the White House or certain policy decisions that are forthcoming, I think what he is establishing is that he's willing to do it in a sort of levy that criticism in a public way because he finds that to be more effective than, you know, calling up the chief of staff or calling up Legislative Affairs Director and do you think he concern. could? Do you think his being so outspoken could prompt uh, other Republican senators to to express their uh, uh, personal opinions about the the, the running of the, the this White House? It's possible. I mean, obviously, he's in a unique situation where he's not running for re-election. But what we've seen is there are now a, a collection of these Republican senators who have decided either they're not, you know, they're not running for re-election or that. Uh, they're unconcerned about the sort of threats emanating from Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, we saw this on the health care vote where John McCain came up and stuck yeah. his thumb down and and sort of glared over at Mike Pence and or at Mitch McConnell. And, and it, it is, you know, there are a lot of excuses that this White House has made for the fact that they don't have a, any legislative accomplishments save maybe Neil Gorsuch getting onto the Supreme That's Court. That's the only one. Uh, which wasn't a, a the hard way, lift. No, uh, and that was Mitch McConnell's. Yeah. Mitch McConnell's credit, uh, not Donald Trump's. But this, you know, let's talk about tax reform for two seconds, which is allegedly what this White House is all consumed with getting passed. Right now, you've just alienated another key ally <laughs> on Capitol Hill, and whether you know, and in a uh, an effort that needs to build populist momentum because. Americans aren't really clamoring to give corporations big tax cuts right now. Well, this is another weekend that we spent talking about the NFL, talking right. about Bob Corker, yeah. talking yeah. about yeah. Little Rocket Man, yeah. talking yeah. about, you know, all, all this sort of yeah. ephemera that, that has nothing to do with pursuing his agenda. And so you have to really ask if you're dedicated to, to getting this legislative accomplishment done. This is this is how you did healthcare. It didn't work out. This is how you've pursued kind of every point of your legislative agenda, and all you've accomplished is keeping the government funded at, at its current rate. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it. You just wonder um, when the when the when, when the uh, when the dam the dam will break um, uh, if, <laughs> if it does at all. Uh, I guess. Um, so. The president, there was talk that there might be a deal on the Dreamers uh, right after the other deal uh, to keep the government running. Right. Uh, Chuck and Nancy, they said they talked about this with the, with the president, and he said he was open to a deal, and he would leave the wall out of the deal. Yesterday, the White House releases a uh, list of non-negotiable demands that have to be on border security, that have to be part of any Dreamers deal. So I think there's two sort of 
30,000 feet thing to keep in mind here. The first is uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are shrewd actors. They saw that when they left on the budget deal and immediately announced that they had come to an agreement that Donald Trump felt locked in and they were able to steamroll particularly Paul Ryan and the House of Representatives, who was very upset with the terms of those deal with that deal, um, and chalk up a, a victory. So I am still curious the extent to which that sort of informal immigration deal was actually locked in yeah, yeah. versus there was a lot of talk yeah. back and forth, and Pelosi and Schumer came out and said, right. all right, we got a deal, let's do it, in hopes of sort of greasing the wheels on this again. So I don't, I don't know. All of this said, I think it is most useful to look at this as a wish list from Stephen Miller, uh, Donald Trump's sort of hardcore anti-immigration advisor, um, who I think is not interested in renewing the DACA deal and is looking for ways to submarine it. That was so interesting to me was when it, whenever we heard about this DACA deal for the first time, I was thinking – there's no way that the people in the White House are going to let Trump get away with this. Mm-hmm. Not 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 that they, they're the running him or controlling right. yeah. him or anything, yeah. but like Stephen Miller specifically. I mean, he's he's of the Steve Bannon school of all foreigners are bad and should not be here in America. And I'm not I'm not trying to paint a picture of what he's not. Like he'll tell you that. And uh, I just I didn't see how those guys could square a no. deal on DACA. With what they've been fighting for their whole lives. And after Bannon and Sebastian and like Gorka. Trump moves around on his right, issues. Yeah. After Sebastian Gorka and Bannon left, people are thinking, well, Stephen Miller can't be long for this world. But as a matter of fact, he's not only survived. I think his influence is probably what we've seen has, probably grown. Has, has grown. Yeah. Right. And so this is his list. I think your, your insight is right on that. But it includes you know, 10,000 more ICE agents, 370 more judges, the wall. Right. And I, I think mean, there are elements of this that Democrats would have been willing to sort of play ball on. I mean, we heard from the initial reports of the deal that they would have been in favor of strengthening uh, border security in some way. And that's long been the trade off that Democrats are, ha- have offered. We'll strengthen border security because mm-hmm. we see, you know, both a political and policy advantage to that, as long as you uh, give some groundway on people who have come here and established lives and families. And so. I think the real question is, when we get close to the actual legislative deadline, is Donald Trump going to stay in the Stephen Miller camp, or is he going to feel real political pressure over the Dreamers? Because unlike Stephen Miller, Donald Trump sees immigration through a political lens, and it's a winner when it is sort of vague, or it is immigrants who are coming across the border illegally and then taking jobs uh, in some of those states that he's won, but... Not so much when it's these dreamers who were brought here as kids have grown up in in America their whole time, and so I think there's the real question is whether he kind of leaves these principles behind. Uh, So I want to go back. Let's come back to the White House with you were uh, I think on pool duty last week where the president had this uh, (laughs) dinner with uh, the military families, yeah, Uh, and then called you all in and said. What you are witnessing is – tell us. Well, so there said. there are a couple strange elements to it. The first is a little inside baseball, but what happens at the end of the day at the White House is they call uh, a travel photo lid. And yeah, that's right. customarily a signal to reporters. You're not going to see the president again. You can go home. Might as well go home. Yes, right. exactly. And 
that really matters, uh, you know, not just for print reporters who need to be there, but tel- the camera crews. And, right. and so, you know, I was thinking back, and in the Obama administration, the two times that I can remember um, them having called a lid and then pulling everybody back, one was when Osama bin Laden was yep, killed. I remember that one. Uh, and the other was, you know, it was a Saturday. Uh, the president decided not to go golfing that Saturday. They sent everybody home, and then he had a checkup with his doctor. They were really scared that he might have had some sort of throat cancer. He, he had had, like, mm. a, a problem for a few weeks. The doctors looked at it and said, this looks really scary, actually. Let's get you to a hospital to check it out. Ended up not being an issue yeah. at all, but they hopped in a in an ambulance and very quickly tried to assemble the press corps to go with them to mm-hmm. the hospital. Uh, so those are the two two times right. that the lid has been kind of mm-hmm. uh, pulled off in the Obama administration. So, you know, it was Thursday night. They'd called the lid. I was finishing up some work, and we get a kind of panicked announcement over the loudspeaker. Were you still at the White House? I was still at the White House. Um, and I think the reasoning was a bit more innocuous here. I think Donald Trump probably just doesn't understand that once you've called a lid, it's strange yeah. to yeah. – to call reporters back, but uh, you know, there's this sort of panic of everybody trying to assemble very quickly for this event, and then we're kind of run into the White House. He's standing uh, in the state dining room, which people might know from that mm-hmm. you know picture of Abraham Lincoln looking pensively uh, hanging over the fireplace, and you know, we come in and he's snapping some pictures, and then he turns to us and says, "You know, you know what this might represent: the calm before the storm." And we all kind of look at each other and then look at him and start shouting, what storm, what storm, to which he will only sort of cryptically respond, you'll see. Oh, and, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good and yeah. safe and normal. You'll find out. Yeah. You'll find out. And so then we're kind of immediately pulled out and we all filter back into the press room and start looking at each other being like, what What just happened? Yeah. What, what was that supposed to mean? And... The press staff was gone. We actually saw John Kelly down in the basement. We, uh, As we were kind of coming back, we shouted him, what did he mean? And Kelly just walked by us. And so it was a very strange moment. Not totally bizarre because Donald Trump is, you know, mm-hmm. obviously made a career out of sort of <laughs> yeah. strange antagonism. But yeah, yeah. yeah. we're getting used to that. Yeah, But it, it still was one of those remarkable sort of memorable nights. So Cecilia Vega tried to the next day tried to get out of him what you were what he was talking about as as I'm sure you did that evening Uh, and uh, again Trump giving no more no more clue. Mr. President what did you mean by calm before the storm yesterday? What did you mean by that? Thank you very much. You'll find out. Yeah. Jesus. And I mean, okay, so. Now, do we know? Now then Saturday he follows up with this famous tweet where he says there's only one thing that will work with North with Korea. North Korea. And right. I th- I do think that contextually what we all kind of assumed was this is intended as sort of posturing towards North Korea and that um, Donald Trump and this White House have decided that there is an advantage in seeming ready to launch a military strike against North Korea, even if. Uh, they're not actually willing to do so. And I, I I go back to, you mentioned Steve Bannon and his exit from the administration. I do I do think that a um, sort of underreported or under-recognized um, moment in that whole saga was shortly before he left, 
Steve Bannon called up a, a magazine editor and had a strange hour-long conversation about foreign policy and lots of other yeah. things. But one of the things he said was, realistically, there's no military option in North Korea. You know, Seoul is yeah. right across the yeah. border. There's tens of thousands of Americans there. There's millions of South Koreans there. It's, launching even a conventional strike on North Korea would have devastating consequences. And I do think that, um, you know, Steve Bannon's star had already sort of faded within the White House and John Kelly was looking to to organize and and restructure. But I do think um, him letting the air out of the balloon that is Donald Trump's sort of bellicose, you know, willingness to to, uh, threaten North Korea was probably a contributing factor. It's still pretty scary talk. And um, Bob Corker referenced that when he said, you know, here's a president that's making these, he called, reckless threats, which he said lead, could be leading to world, could lead to World War Three. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, even if we don't take them that seriously, if the yeah. North Korean regime does and decides to take preemptive action against the U.S., right. suddenly we've broken out into a huge nuclear potentially a nuclear war with really deadly consequences. Uh, toward the beginning of this exchange with uh, this back and forth with uh, Bob Corker, last Thursday, uh, Corker said something about um, the team of grown-ups down at the White House that they have uh, kind of one mission. Here, here, here's uh, Senator Corker. Secretary Tillerson, Secretary Mattis, and... Uh, Chief of Staff Kelly uh, are those people that help separate our country from chaos. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that freeing feeling when you're not running for re-election. <laughs> yeah, right. You get to just throw it out there. And he, and he said further that from his own experience, he knows that every day, I'm paraphrasing here, that down the White House is a struggle between these the grown-ups, he doesn't call them that, right. and Donald Trump, you know, trying to... Um, uh, try, trying to make, contain him, if you will. Yeah, one of the, I mean, one of, uh, Jamie? A couple of comments on Twitter. I just want to jump in real yeah, quick here. Right. Uh, we're hearing from our followers. Uh, Hap Emerson says uh, on Twitter at BP Show, we know Trump is nuts because any grandparent would never speak so flippantly about nuclear war, especially one with the power to start one. And KG1 says handlers at the White House are going to need PTSD treatments. Kind of agree with that. Keep those comments coming. Again, we're on Twitter at BP Show or in the chat room on YouTube, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show. Just imagine having that job of being his handler, yeah. like the morning yeah. handler who has to set their alarm for, you know, 4 30 in the morning. Right. Because he wakes up at weird hours and starts the, to scream. Uh, it sounds miserable to get up at like 4 30 in the you morning. No, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, it's awful. <laughs> But you know the um, but the, <laughs> the, the New York Review of Books, the lead article uh, this 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 week is that the the grownups they call them right with Mattis, uh, McMaster, and John Kelly, Rex Tillerson maybe not so much right. anymore. Uh, what's your read on that? Well, I mean, I I think just the framing of this discussion in and of itself is remarkable. I mean, imagine any other presidency if top aides and advisors to the president were depicting themselves as in a constant struggle to prevent the president from undertaking the things that he wanted to do because they were dangerous or irrational. 
And, you know, I think this is a way for them to bolster their own profiles mm -hmm. or protect their own reputation, certainly. But we're already in such a strange situation where this is the sort of politically expeditious thing to do is to prevent the president from the the elected president of the United States from sort of carrying out um, what he what he was here to do. And, I, you know, you hear Steve Bannon talk a lot about. Um, how these folks shouldn't be preventing, you know, their job should be to enable the president or to help the mm -hmm. president, not to uh, sort of curtail him and hold him back. And I think while we could all um, judge which policies we'd like to actually see implemented on their merits, and um, I think a lot of people on both sides of the aisle have their concerns about a lot of what Donald Trump wants to pursue there is an element of it's a very strange you know situation to be in where administration officials are keeping the president from implementing what he wants to. Yeah, hey, I also point out that we're talking about three generals. Yes. Right. So in this case, it's I mean the tradition is in this country the civilian president keeping the generals uh, right. in line. This is the military keeping the wacky civilian president in line. So it's even more strange, right? It's a very it's a very strange circumstance. The other I mean the other part of this though is that you know, you have to wonder um how uh, effective this criticism is going to be from somebody like Bob Corker in that you know, what we constantly hear about John Kelly and what John Kelly says is that he doesn't want to be seen as, you know, reigning in the president. He doesn't like that narrative publicly, and the reason that you might think that that's true is uh, Donald Trump does not react well when he's being depicted as not in charge yeah, uh, and right. uh, as being sort of handled. And so there's a possibility that by leveling this criticism, Bob Corker is actually inviting th the president to make more radical you know, decisions than he might have otherwise. Well, that gets to the position of uh, John Kelly because there's been so many articles in the last – week or or more about Kelly being short term, you know, frustrated, uh, uh, could walk at any minute, may, may not last the month. Well, everybody's uh, short, short term. Right? Yeah, right. That's true. But Donald, so Donald Trump said something strange on Thursday when he went down to, uh, to North Carolina uh, to reporters um, about uh, John, uh, John Kelly's future with the administration. He's doing a great job. He will be here, in my opinion, for the entire seven remaining years. First, a fact. Now, we talked about this earlier. I actually have an answer to this. Okay. I want to ask Justin first. Then you can... All right. right? Yeah. I've got the facts. Has any chief of staff ever lasted eight years? I, I cannot imagine that they have. I, I couldn't either. One fact. has. I don't believe it. One has, and it, was the, and it was the very first chief of staff. Oh, the, okay. It was sort of created cool. under Harry S. Truman, and John Steelman served eight years as chief of staff under Harry Truman. After that, yeah, never again. Okay, in in our lifetime, right? And right. in our service or whatever, yeah, in our memory, in modern times, certainly no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's a grueling and exhausting right. job. So under uh, normal circumstances. Right. Uh, so you've talked to Kelly. Uh, how long do you think he stays? Um. I, well, I I am only being slightly facetious when I say that everybody at the White House is short term. Yeah, I right, don't think right. 
I don't think I have encountered a Trump administration official with the possible exception of the sort of Breitbart, Bannon, Stephen Miller axis who see this as their one and only uh, shot to have big influential impact on on the federal government who see this as a long-term gig, but rather as um, an assist to their party and their country and to, to some extent their president, but not, I mean, I also don't want to oversell this as a, a Trump only phenomenon. I think, no, you know, in the no, Obama no. White House, we had yeah. five or six chief staff. Yeah. Uh, true of Bush and before, you know, Clinton before that, it's, it is a, Exhausting, grueling job under the best of circumstances. This has certainly been a, a, a trying period, and so I would I'd not be surprised if John Kelly, a year or or something like that of service, and then decides to hand over the reins. Most people else. have had four or five chiefs of staff, right? Mm-hmm. At this rate, Trump is going to have sixteen. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, Reince Priebus right. was the chief of staff for six months. John Kelly's been chief of staff since July. He already seems like he's getting burned out on it. I mean, maybe he makes to the end of the year. I don't. I don't know. I mean, who knows, right? But like, he, I, he ain't going to be there for I, the rest of the term. What will be interesting is uh, in January it will be a year for many people, and I suspect that there will be a staff exodus. And I'm not saying this about Kelly specifically, sure. but I suspect, especially the people who started on day one, you get a one, year in the White House. You get a year you in the White House. In yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Right. Yeah, you got it's got to be frustrating for uh for Kelly. Well, Justin, it's good to have you on the front lines there, my friend, and uh thanks so much for uh, coming in and sharing your insights and experience and uh <laughs> See and you over there. We consider this the calm before the storm <laughs> in starting your day. <laughs> yes, uh Donald Trump also rolling back some protections for American women when it comes to contraception. We'll talk about that with Reg- Dr. Reagan McDonald Mosley from Planned Parenthood coming up next. The media is is really the word, I, I think one of the greatest of all terms I've, I've come up with is fake. I guess other people have used it perhaps over the years, but I've never noticed it. Uh, and it's a shame. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, good to see you today on a Monday, Monday, October 9. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here as we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day at the uh, Bill Press Show today. Good to be with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV and out in the Chicago area. Joining you on WCPT. Uh, we've seen so far that if the uh, Trump administration um, has any strategy, they don't have any strategy of their own, that basically their only strategy is rolling back everything that President Obama accomplished on any front, including uh, late last week, um, as if the Supreme Court's decision wasn't enough in the Hobby Lobby case, Donald Trump rolling back uh, protections that uh, President Obama had put in place as part of the Affordable Care Act uh, to provide, uh, to make sure that contraception was covered in basic health care. Uh, Donald Trump wants to do away with that. Dr. 
Reagan McDonald Mosley is the chief medical officer at the Planned Parenthood Federation of America, who's kind enough to join us in studio this morning. Hey, doctors, great to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, and Dr. Uh, McDonald Mosley wrote an op-ed in the New York Times last week criticizing this this um, move by by uh, Donald Trump. So first of all, tell us what was the regulation and what did Donald Trump roll back? So with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, there was a provision that required for all preventive services that were established by the Institute of Medicine to be covered without cost to the patient, um, to the user. And that included all of the FDA-approved methods for birth control. So that meant that before the Affordable Care Act, um, someone might have to come out of pocket for $20, $50 a month for birth control pills or the patch or the ring, for example. Or they may even have to come out of pocket for up to $1,000 to get one of the more expensive methods like an intrauterine device or a contraceptive implant, mm-hmm. the longer-term methods of birth control. But after the passage of the ACA, the vast majority of people wouldn't have to pay at all, and they could make the choices about what birth control method they wanted based on their medical history and um, the other preferences that were important to them in their lifestyle, but not based on cost. And the argument against that is that birth control or contraception is just not, has nothing to do with health care? I mean, birth control is not controversial. It is an essential part of health care. In fact, you know, in the last century, it's probably one of the most important advancements that be, that's been made in health care in terms of the development of birth control methods and dissemination of them. Um, you know, it's widely utilized. Nine out of 10 women during their reproductive life um, years will use birth control at some point. Including 95% of Catholic women, may I point out? Right, you know, right. It's despite not. Despite the position of the um, medieval Catholic Church. That's exactly right. Women of all, you know, makes um, and religions use birth control. Um, it's safe, it's effective, it's hugely important. Um, you know, healthcare is an essential human right, including the decision to decide whether and when to have children. And so what the Trump administration did here is really take aim at this provision to say that employers can decide whether they want to cover birth control at all for any reason. Uh, well, particularly for religious reasons, right. correct? Or for moral reasons. You know what I find so interesting about about this is we're still living in an age where so many birth control decisions are made by people who just don't understand it. Uh, I'm reminded of when, you remember a couple of years ago, Rush Limbaugh got in a lot of trouble for a a fight he had with Sandra Fluke because she was trying to get health uh, contraception. And he said, like, she wants to go and get as many pills as she can. And his sort of argument was, like, he, he thinks that you take a pill, like, Every time that you have sex, because that's how like a pill works for a, like it just like totally doesn't understand the whole process right. of it, and like he ain't alone in that. Right, and I think that's what's particularly frustrating about this is that the Institute of Medicine, you know, they're a group of experts, women's health experts. They spent you know a year and a half looking at all the evidence around this having testimony from other experts, deliberating, and made a decision about these are the things that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we should cover these things. And birth control was on the list. And now with just a swipe of the pen, that's all taken away, despite all of this evidence. What I don't understand, if if this were part of the ACA, which is the law of the land, how could the president change 
with a stroke of the pen, the law of the land. Well, I have to admit, I'm a physician and not a politician or a legislator, so I'm not sure how that is the case, but it seems completely unreasonable to me. Um, but it's completely in line with the attack that the administration has been making on women's health care broadly from the day that Donald Trump took office. I think in his first days, he already... Uh, yeah. um, Implement, re-implemented the global gag rule, which directly right. takes aim at access to family planning abroad. And this is just a full extension I, of that here. I think I can answer my own question, actually, because, there, you know, once the law is passed, then it's up to the departments and the agencies to adopt the rules and regulations that carry out mm-hmm. that, that law. That's the executive branch's job. And I'm sure he made a change in the way the executive branch, HHS, was implementing this particular policy that was part of the ACA. But what is the impact on American women? The, the Trump, uh, from the, according to the New York Times yesterday, uh, the Trump administration says, with no evidence whatsoever, the New York Times points out, that these new rules will have no effect on 99.9% of the 165 million women in the United States. But there's no way that they can say that. Um, there's no study to have demonstrated the effect of this. There's no analysis that's gone into this. And I can tell you as a healthcare provider. What do you say the impact will be on women? I think it will be significant um, because with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, when a, when a person came to the health center, again, they could be counseled about all options and choose whichever one that they wanted. Um, and we as healthcare providers could know that whatever they chose would be covered. But now we'd have to go back to the bad old days where you have to actually check to see if the if the person has coverage for birth control. And especially if she's choosing one of the more expensive methods, it's very important to check to make sure that she's covered for that so that she's not going to be sent a bill for an exorbitant amount of money that she can't afford. Right. And so um, logistically, in terms of what's going to happen in implementation of this, it's going to be a huge burden for women and for providers. What I don't get also is, so who is for this change? I mean, who's, who, who's Donald Trump answering to by making this change? Well, you mentioned HHS. I mean, it's true that he has appointed people to Health and Human Services who don't believe in birth control, don't believe it's effective, don't believe in comprehensive well, sex education. Gone. Um, but there are other appointees there, and so I, I, yeah, I don't think that I don't. I, I think there are a lot of people there who are following Tom Price's lead. I, I don't think that he was alone in his in his feeling. Right, yeah. and there are other appointees there who you know who have. But have, he didn't do it for the federal employees. I mean, it, this this is the it's pandering uh, to his base to his base, right? The, particularly mm-hmm. the evangelicals, right? But it's still don't you think women i mean men i mean in his base there are people who practice birth control absolutely again 9 out of 10 yeah. women at some yeah. point right. will use birth control it's, it's and the reality insane. is is that a vast majority over 80% of americans actually support policies that make birth control more accessible well, um so this doesn't make sense none the, of it makes sense the, other thing, the thing that really really bothers me about this is the idea that this is done in the name of religion mm-hmm. that's done in the name of faith i mean okay you're a doctor you're not a politician you're not a preacher either. But, you know, I like to say, where the hell in the Bible are you getting this from, right? Right. Where And where does it make sense to make it harder for people to decide when and whether to have children? Where does it make sense to sort of make yeah. health disparities in this country to exacerbate them by making it harder for low-income patients to get care? Where does it make sense for an employer to be able to make these these very personal decisions for people um, this has no basis in religion or morality. It's completely insane. And it certainly, you know, 
it rebuffs every piece of evidence and everything to do with good public health practices. And, and these these guys, and I say guys because they're the ones for the making, most part, they're, they're, they for are the most oh, part the ones they making these yeah. decisions. Like, there's a time to sort of lead and take, you know, just sort of like push push forward with something. And then there's a time to like just shut up and listen. Just just shut up and listen. You might you really might learn something. I don't mean just like listen to your okay. wife. And when I say shut up and listen, I mean shut up and listen to the women around you, and not necessarily their wives, because like they get great health care, as do our elected officials, which a lot of people don't get. But like every okay. single one of these politicians has someone in their constituency who has a who has a problem with this. Like it's Absolutely. it's a real problem. And just like right. listen to those voices. Right. Also, just to just to show how how really uh, evil this move is on the part of Donald Trump. Not only did uh, he say he's going to change this policy. But the normal period where they put out yeah. a change in policy for public comment, yeah. which is 30 days or 60 days, whatever it is, um, they're not doing that this time. Because they claim that, that they have to do this so quickly, if they went through the normal process of seeking public comment, it would, that would be, here's the, from the Donald Trump uh, memo or, or order, um, the normal process of seeking public comment would be impractical, unnecessary, and contrary to the public interest. So they're rushing it through, saying it's in the public interest not to have the public comment on this change. Yeah, they're probably afraid that they would get exactly. a lot of negative comments. I mean, you know, there was a show at the March for Women's Lives of, of <laughs> you know, power and strength and fortitude of women. And that is very real. And that's a very real movement in our country. And they're afraid of that. Um, in their backlash of the comments. And so they're just pushing this through and pushing this down the throats of the American population um, and people will suffer. You know, you mentioned that, you know, the nature of our um, insurance program, most people get insurance from their employers and most of our uh, legislatures and people making these decisions, they're not going to be affected because they're going to be able to either have the means to ensure that their wives, daughters, whomever get the care that they need, but many of their constituents will be. They will be affected. Um, and there will be a trickle-down effect from there in terms of public health outcomes. Right. So um, the other thing I don't understand about this, all right, these, the same evangelicals who are um, leading this attack on contraception, birth control, are the same evangelicals who are also leading the attack on denying women the right of choice. Okay. Now, isn't Am I getting this wrong? Isn't there a contradiction between these two positions? Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it just seems like misogyny is speaking here, right? That they Absolutely. don't want to have women and people to have access to birth control to sort of make informed decisions and lead the healthiest lives possible. But then they're also going to restrict access to abortion and make that harder or impossible to get. Right. And we've right. seen the real world consequences of this in Texas, for example, where there were significant cuts made to the Texas Family Planning Program mm -hmm. and at the same time a lot of restrictions around abortion. And Texas women have suffered. They've had less access to the most effective methods of birth control, more uh, births covered from the Medicaid program. And uh, you know, women have had to travel very long distances, take a lot of time off from work to get abortion care if that's the decision that they decide. Um, and really, I mean, it just none of this makes sense. And I think, again, two words just come to mind when I'm evaluating why these decisions are making being made. And one is hypocrisy and the other is misogyny. So, I mean, again, it just seems to me that there are sort of two ways to avoid unwanted pregnancies, right? 
One is not to have sex. Okay. Maybe that's the simplistic way to That ain't going to work. All right. <laughs> For most people, that's not going to work. What well, can Absolutely. you control, right? Like, you can't control that. You no. Can't control All right. No. Sex. All right. So that's not realistic. So the other thing is then teach people to have, you know, responsible sex that's and right. to use birth control and, and give them the tools to do and that. And give them the tools yeah. to do that and educate them. And all of that, you know, and, and and that's what we've done. Right. Right. So another thing that came out last week was a study by the CDC showing that rates of sexually transmitted infections are higher. Right. And this all comes into play because as a society, we're investing less in our healthcare infrastructure and our safety net structure. Um, we are taking away important preventive care um, and we're doing it in the name of morality and religion. When, in fact, the right thing to do is to take care of people, give them the tools that they need to lead the best, healthiest lives possible and to not make it, you know, so cumbersome and so burdensome that they can't afford it. Right. Um, it is a war on women. It really is. Uh, seems to me all over again. And it keeps coming, coming back. We think we've made some progress and another administration comes in and, uh, you know, roll back the clock. Um, and where now does the war on Planned Parenthood stand? Uh, every bill that comes, it seems, that through the Senate, no matter what the topic is, they try to put a rider on yeah. it. You yeah. spent a couple of years being demonized. But we're going to plan. Sure. We're going to ban funding for Planned Parenthood as part of this defense bill right. or part of this education bill or whatever. Right. So thankfully, the attempts to repeal and replace Obamacare failed. The ACA, yes. and uh, as would... you mentioned, attached to that was. Um, a requirement that low-income women wouldn't be able to go to Planned Parenthood for care. But we don't know what's around the corner and what else they'll attach, you know, a defund Planned Parenthood bill to. And I think just to be clear, what we are talking about are low-income women who use the Medicaid program to get their health care, not being able to decide to go to their local Planned Parenthood, whom they may have been going to for years or every month or every three months to get their depo shot or every year for cervical cancer screening or breast cancer screening, saying to those women, nope, you don't have the right to choose where you go anymore. Um, and again, it just really circles back to what we were talking about before um, with this hypocrisy and misogyny really taking aim at, at women. I mean, the majority of our patients are women. We see 2.5 million patients a year um, and 2 million of them are women. We see 2 million Patients a year, woman two, a year for two, two million out of the, your two point five patients. Yeah, two point yeah. five million patients, and are, they rely yeah. on us for routine health services in their communities. Um, and so, what politicians are trying to do is just take and limit access away um, where it's convenient for them and where they frankly choose to go. So, how many clinics do you have nationwide? About six hundred health centers. Six hundred. Are you in in every state? Yes, we are. Mm -hmm. And um, you are the chief medical officer for the whole the whole operation, huh? <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's not bad. What? Uh, why do so? What's the main service you provide? I mean, uh, right. If you, if you listen to these Republican senators, right, you're abortion mills, and that's all you do. So the main service What's we the provide, er, uh, the most common service we provide is actually um, sexually transmitted infection testing and treatment. Um, and second to that is birth control and family planning services. Uh, we also provide a significant amount of routine preventive services, including breast and cancer screening, um, pregnancy testing and options counseling. And, of course, we also provide abortion services to patients who are seeking that care as well. Um, but a majority of the services that we provide are um, preventive services, including birth control services and STI testing and prevention. 
Um, and these are essential services in communities where oftentimes Planned Parenthood is the only place for people to go because they don't have health insurance or they have the type of health insurance mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they can't get care elsewhere. Um, so we're a really important part of the healthcare infrastructure all over the country. And what do they pay? So it, it depends. If a patient has health insurance, we take their health insurance and bill their health insurance, which is why the defunding attempts would be so devastating, because that would mean that patients who had Medicaid and use their Medicaid coverage, like everyone else, to go to their provider wouldn't be able to do so at their local Planned Parenthood. Um, many of our health centers have a sliding fee schedule for patients who don't have health insurance. And depending on the patient's income level, they may pay nothing at all or a nominal amount. Right. Um, and and it's just, it's, so are these these are women who, for the most part, right, who couldn't afford to go to a private physician or sometimes again sometimes it has to do with um, just having a longstanding relationship with their Planned Parenthood provider. I mean, um, for example, I've had lots of patients who came to see us initially when they were younger and then they were students. And then maybe they were in graduate school and didn't have great health insurance through their school program, so they continued to see us. And then they got a, a, the type of job where they had insurance through their employer, but because they've had such a great longstanding relationship with us, we're their trusted provider. They know they can get non-judgmental care with us. They continue to see us with their private insurance. And so we see the full range. And I think that's what makes us unique in many other contexts. Unless you have insurance or have a specific type of insurance, you're not going to get through the doors Mm. of that provider. Whereas we take care of patients, whether they have insurance, don't have insurance, have Medicaid, um, and we are able to provide them with the highest quality non-judgmental care based on the highest level of evidence. So tell us a little bit about, uh, again, Dr. Uh, Reagan McDonald-Mosley is our guest. She's the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood. PlannedParenthood.org is the uh, website. Tell us a little bit about the history of Planned Parenthood. I mean, it wasn't... Uh, very limited knowledge, but what I remember from my reading of this is it, it wasn't originally created by a bunch of radical lefty women. Am, I don't correct? know if that's the case. I would say, so Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. We actually just recently celebrated our yeah. 100th anniversary and she was pretty radical. At that time, she, birth control was completely okay. um, illegal. And th- we're talking about just, you know, giving yeah. information t- to people about, like, when to have sex in their cycle. Right. Like, that's what birth control yeah. looked like yeah. 100 years ago. And so she set up um, birth control clinics in New York City where she would educate mostly low-income women um, about these options because she had seen so many women die uh, mm-hmm. from the consequences of lack of access yeah. to birth control and, and well, doing that, abortion. I guess, was pretty radical at the she time. She was actually yeah. arrested um, mm-hmm. because there was an undercover um, officer who pretended to be one of these women seeking information. Um, so our history is is born in controversy. And unfortunately, in 2017, <laughs> you know, we continue to be fighting on the front lines to make sure that people have access to um, all of the range of options for reproductive health care. But do you get any support from Republicans? Absolutely. I mean, this is not fully a partisan issue. Just like we were talking about, it's not a religion versus non-religious issue. There are lots of people, including Republicans, who understand the value of, of Planned Parenthood. In fact, a majority of Republicans, including folks who voted for Donald Trump in polling, have shown that they're not for defunding Planned Parenthood. So again, I think people truly see the value of the work that we do in communities. Um, people of, from all backgrounds, all religions, all um, political bents um, come to us for care all over the country. Right. 
Well, certainly you've got one champion in uh, Susan Collins, right? That's Republican, right. <laughs> Republican senator. Thankfully, and we need as many as possible. <laughs> I, I did, was, was, did, did Lisa Murkowski also come out? I, I know she she voted against, um, I, you know, the end of, uh, of the repeal the of, of, of uh, the ACA. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure whether Planned Parenthood was one of her issues, whether she talked about that. I'd like to think so. I mean, and we're so yeah. grateful for those who stood uh, with us in the fight against the repeal of the ACA and and defunding Planned Parenthood. Again, it makes a huge difference to the two million patients that rely on us. And that's what really is at stake, right? We are an organization and an institution that has been here for 100 years. We will be here, hopefully, for 100 more. But the cost is really to our And patients. did you find that w- with the passage of the Affordable Care Act that you're uh, that more people were able to take advantage of your services? Absolutely. And really, what again, what it meant is that when a, when a patient came to me um, and I gave her the, the full counseling, right, about all of her options specifically for birth control, um, whereas before, cost might have been part of the discussion or part mm-hmm. of her decision-making, now it didn't have to be if she had insurance, which is hugely empowering to say, you know, we've discussed all of the methods, we've discussed what's important to you, we've discussed your life plan, your lifestyle, what method is going to be right for you, right? And then she says, I would like this one. And I can provide that without having to worry about, you know, the cost for her. Yeah. Uh, one of our sons is a... Uh uh, head of a clinic out in Bend, Oregon, and oh. not a Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. but a family planning clinic and and a family care cl- clinic, and 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 the the population load, you know, or the, the patient load from ever since the pass, pass, passage of the Affordable Care Act has really increased dramatically because people now have access yeah. to basic health. That's right, yeah, that's and the they know point. they don't have to pay, right, yeah, as point. it should no, be. Exactly. And that's what's frustrating, right? We should be making strides forward. Right to increase um, health outcomes. Because as a nation, we're not actually doing that great compared to other nations, yeah. right? And especially when you look at certain populations, low-income people, people of color, it's even worse. And so we should be making strides to make access to health care more readily accessible. But yet, we're doing the opposite. Yeah. Well, you're doing such great work. And Planned Parenthood is such a great organization. And Cecile Richards is very lucky to have you where you are. Thank so, you very much. Thank, And we're lucky. And very grateful that you came in this morning. It was today. my pleasure. So, it was a great right. conversation. So let's hope that uh, <clears throat> somehow we can, uh, Congress maybe will step up and roll, not let Donald Trump get away with what he's trying to do. We'll see. We can only hope. Uh, Dr. Reagan McDonald-Mosley, don't forget the website is PlannedParenthood.org. That wraps it up for us on this Indigenous People's Day. Enjoy. Come back and see us again tomorrow. This we'll be looking for is you. the Bill Press Show.